Good afternoon, and now it is time for a story. We're going to start with the tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter, a childhood favorite of mine. Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter. Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits, and their names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. They lived with their mother in a sandbank underneath the root of a very big fruit tree. Now, my dears, said old Mrs. Rabbit one morning, you may go into the fields or down the lane, but don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. Your father had an accident there. He was put into a pie by Mrs. McGregor. Now run along and don't get into mischief. I am going out. Then old Mrs. Rabbit took a basket and her umbrella and went through the wood to the baker's. She bought a loaf of brown bread and five currant buns. Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail, who were good little bunnies, went down the lane to gather blackberries. But Peter, who was very naughty, ran straight away to Mr. McGregor's garden and squeezed under the gate. First he ate some lettuce and some French beans, then he ate some radishes. And then feeling rather sick, he went to look for some parsley. But round the end of a cucumber frame, whom should he meet but Mr. McGregor? Mr. McGregor was on his hands and knees planting out young cabbages, but he jumped up and ran after Peter, waving a rake and calling out, Stop! Thief! Peter was most dreadfully frightened. He rushed all over the garden, for he had forgotten the way back to the gate. He lost one of his shoes among the cabbages and the other among the potatoes. After losing them, he ran on four legs and went faster. So I think he might have gotten away altogether if he had not unfortunately run into a gooseberry net and got caught by the large buttons on his jacket. It was a blue jacket with brass buttons quite new. Peter gave himself up for lost and shed big tears, but his sobs were overheard by some friendly sparrows who flew to him in great excitement and implored him to exert himself. Mr. McGregor came up with a sieve which he intended to pop upon the, upon the top of Peter. But Peter wriggled out just in time, leaving his jacket behind him, and rushed into the tool shed and jumped into a can. It would have been a beautiful thing to hide in if it had not had so much water in it. Mr. McGregor was quite sure that Peter was somewhere in the tool shed, perhaps hidden underneath a flower pot. He began to turn them over carefully, looking under each. Presently, Peter sneezed. Kushnoo! Mr. McGregor was after him in no time and tried to put his foot upon Peter, who jumped out of a window, upsetting three plants. The window was too small for Mr. McGregor, and he was started running after Peter. He went back to his work. Peter sat down to rest. He was out of breath and trembling with fright, and he had not the least idea which way to go. Also, he was very damp sitting in that can. After a time, he began to wander about, going lippity-lippity, not very fast and looking all around. He found a door in the wall, but it was locked and there was no room for a fat little rabbit to squeeze underneath. An old mouse was running in and out over the stone doorstep, carrying peas and beans to her family in the wood. Peter asked her the way to the gate, but she had such a low pea in her mouth that she could not answer. She only shook her head at him, and Peter began to cry. 
Then he tried to find his way straight across the garden, but became more and more puzzled. Presently, he came to a pond where Mr. Gregory filled his water cans. A white cat was staring at some goldfish. She sat very, very still, but now and then the top of her tail twitched as if it was alive. Peter thought it was best to go away without speaking to her. He had heard about cats from his cousin, Little Benjamin Bunny. He went backwards towards the tool shed, but suddenly quite close to him, heard the noise of a, of a hoe. Scritch, scratch, scratch, scritch. Peter scattered underneath the bushes, but presently, as nothing happened, he came out and climbed on upon a wheelbarrow and peeped over. The first thing he saw was Mr. McGregor hoeing onions. His back was turned towards Peter, and beyond him was the gate. Peter got down very quietly off the wheelbarrow and started running as fast as he could go along a straight walk behind some black currant bushes. Mr. McGregor caught sight of him at the corner, but Peter did not care. He slipped underneath the gate and was safe at last in the wood outside the garden. Mr. McGregor hung up the little jacket and the shoes for a scarecrow to frighten the blackbirds. Peter never stopped running or looking behind him till he got home to the big fruit tree. He was so tired that he flopped down upon the nice soft sand of the floor of the rabbit hole and shut his eyes. His mother was busy cooking. She wondered what he had done with his clothes. It was the second little jacket and pair of shoes that Peter had lost in a fortnight. I am sorry to say that Peter was not very well during the evening. His mother put him to bed and made some chamomile tea, and she gave a dose of it to Peter. One tablespoonful to be taken at bedtime. But Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail had bread and milk and blackberries for supper. The Tale of Peter Rabbit by Beatrix Potter And now for something on the darker side. The Veld by Ray Bradbury. The Veld by Ray Bradbury. George, I wish you'd look at the nursery. What's wrong with it? I don't know. Well then, I just want you to look at it is all. Or call a psychologist in to look at it. What would a psychologist want with a nursery? You know very well what he'd want. His wife paused in the middle of the kitchen and watched the stove, busy humming to itself, making supper for four. It's just the nursery is different now than it was. Alright, let's have a look. They walked down the hall of their soundproofed Happy Life home, which had cost them $30,000 installed. This house, which clothed and fed and rocked them to sleep, and played and sang and was good to them. Their approach sensitized a switch somewhere and the nursery light flicked on when they came within 10 feet of it. Similarly, behind them in the halls, lights went on and off as they left them behind with a soft, automatic activity. Well, said George. They stood on the thatched floor of the nursery. 
It was 40 feet across by 40 feet long and 30 feet high. It had cost half again as much as the rest of the house. But nothing's too good for our children, George had said. The nursery was silent. It was empty as a jungle glade at high, at high noon. The walls were blank and two-dimensional. Now, as George, Emily, and Hadley stood in the center of the room, the walls began to purr and recede into crystalline distance. It seemed, and presently an African veld appeared. In three dimensions on all sides, in color reproduced to the final pebble and bit of straw. The ceiling above them became a deep sky with a hot yellow sun. George Hadley felt the perspiration on start on his brow. Let's get out of this sun, he said. This is a little too real, but I don't see anything wrong. Wait a moment, you'll see, said his wife. Now the hidden artifonics were beginning to blow a wind of odor at the two people in the middle of the banked veld land. The hot straw smelt of lying grass, the cool green smell of the hidden water hole, the great rusty smell of animals, the smell of dust like a red paprika in the hot air, and now the sounds, the thump of distant antelope feet on grassy sod, the papery, papery rustling of vultures. A shadow passed through the sky. The shadow flickered on George Hadley's upturned sweating face. Filthy creatures here, as I say, the vultures. You see, there were the lions far over that way. Now they're on their way to the water hole. They've just been eating, said Lydia. I don't know what. Some animal, George Hadley put his hand up to shield off the burning light from his squinting eyes. A zebra or a baby giraffe, maybe. Are you sure? His wife sounded particularly tense. No, it's a little late to be sure, he said, amused. Nothing over there I can see but clean the bone and the vultures dropping for what's left. Did you hear the scream, she asked. No. About a minute ago? Sorry, no. The lions were coming. And again, George Hadley was filled with admiration for the mechanical genius who had conceived this room. A miracle of efficiency selling for an absurdly low price. Every home should have one. Oh, occasionally they frightened you with their clinical accuracy. They startled you, gave you a twinge. But most of the time, what fun for everyone. Not only your own son and daughter, but for yourself when you felt like a quick jaunt to a foreign land. A quick change of scenery. Well, here it was. And here were the lions now. Fifteen feet away, so real. So feverishly and startling real that you could feel the prickling fur on your hand and your mouth was stuffed with the dusty upholstery smell of their heated pelts. And the yellow of them was in your eyes like the yellow of an exquisite French tapestry, the yellows of lions and summer grass, and the sound of the matted lion lungs exhaling on the silent noontide, and the smell of the meat from the panting, dripping mouse. The lions stood looking at George and Lydia Hadley with terrible green yellow eyes. Watch out, screamed Lydia. The lions came running at them. Lydia balked and ran. Instinctively, George sprang after her. Outside in the hall with the door... The lions came running at them. Lydia bolted and ran. Instinctively, George sprang after her. Outside in the hall with the door slammed, he was laughing and she was crying. 
and they both stood appalled at the other's reaction. George! Lydia! Oh, my dear, poor, sweet Lydia! They almost got us! Walls, Lydia remembered. Crystal walls, that's all they are. Oh, they look real, I must admit. Africa and your parlor. But it's all dimensional, super reactionary, super sensitive color film and metal tape film behind glass screens. It's all phonics and sonics, Lydia. Here's my handkerchief. I'm afraid, she came to him and put her body against him and cried steadily. Did you see? Did you feel? It's too real. Now, Lydia, you've got to tell Wendy and Peter not to read any more on Africa. Of course, of course, he patted her. Promise? Sure. And lock the nursery for a few days until I get my nerves settled. You know how difficult Peter is about that. When I punished him a month ago by locking the nursery for even a few hours, the tantrum he threw, and Wendy too, they live for the nursery. It's got to be locked, that's all there is to it. Alright, reluctantly he locked the huge door. You've been working too hard, you need a rest. I don't know, I don't know, she said, blowing her nose, sitting down in a chair that immediately began to rock and comfort her. Maybe I don't have enough to do. Maybe I have time to think too much. Why don't we shut the whole house off for a few days and take a vacation? You mean you want me to fry my eggs for you? Yes, she nodded. And damn my socks? Yes, a frantic wonder I nodded. And sweep the house? Yes, yes, oh yes. But I thought that's why we bought this house, so we wouldn't have to do anything. That's just it. I feel like I don't belong here. This house is wife and mother now and nursemaid. Can I compete with an African veld? Can I give a bath and scrub the children as efficiently or quickly as the automatic scrub bath can? I cannot. And it isn't just me. It's you. You've been awfully nervous lately. I suppose I have been smoking too much. You look as if you didn't even know what to do with yourself in this house either. You smoke a little more every morning and drink a little more every afternoon and need a little more sedative every night. You're beginning to feel unnecessary too. Am I? He paused and tried to feel it himself to see what was really there. Oh, George, she looks beyond him at the nursery door. Those lions can't get out of there, can they? He looked at the door and saw it tremble as if something had jumped against it from the other side. Of course not, he said. At dinner, they ate alone from Wendy and Peter, were at a special plastic carnival across town, and had televised home to say they'd be late to go ahead eating. So George Hadley, bemused, sat watching the dining room table produce warm dishes of food from its mechanical interior. We forgot the ketchup, he said. Sorry, said a small voice from the other table, and ketchup appeared. As for the nursery, thought George Hadley, it wouldn't hurt for the children to be locked out of it a while. Too much of anything isn't good for anyone. And it was clearly indicated that the children had been spending too, a little too much time in Africa. That son, he could feel it on his neck, still like a hot paw. And the lions, and the smell of blood. Remarkable how the nursery caught the telepathic emanations of the children's mind and created life to fill their every desire. The children thought lions, and there were lions. The children thought zebras, and there were zebras. Sun, sun. Giraffes, giraffes. Death and death. That last, he chewed tastelessly on the meat that the table had cut for him. Death thoughts. They were awfully young. Wendy and Peter for death thoughts. 
Oh no, you were never too young, really. Long before you knew what death was, you were wishing it on someone else. When you were two years old, two years old and you were shooting people with cat pistols. But this, the long hat, long hat, hot African veld, the awful death in the jaws of a lion, and repeated it again and again. Where were you going? He didn't answer Lydia. Preoccupied, he let the light glow softly on ahead of him, extinguishing behind him as he padded to the nursery door. He listened against it. Far away, a lion roared. He unlocked the door and opened it. He unlocked the door and opened it. Just before he stepped inside, he heard a faraway scream, and then another roar from the lions, which subsided quickly. He stepped into Africa. How many times in the last year had he opened this door and found Wonderland, Alice, the Mock Turtle, or Aladdin and his magical lamp, or Jack Pumpkinhead of Oz, or Dr. Doolittle, or the cow jumping over the real appearing moon, all the delightful contraptions of a make-believe world. How often had he seen Pegasus flying in the sky ceiling? Or seen fountains of red fireworks? Or heard angel voices singing? But now, it's yellow hot Africa. This bake oven with murder in the heat. Perhaps Lydia was right. Perhaps they needed a little vacation from the fantasy, which was growing a bit too real for the ten-year-old children. It was alright to exercise one's mind with gymnastic fantasies. But when the lively child mind settled on one pattern, it seemed that at a distance for the past month, he had heard lions roaring and smelled their strong odors seeping as far away as his study door. But being busy, he had paid it no attention. George Hadley stood on the African grassland alone. The lions looked up for their, from their feeding, watching him. The only flaw to the illusion was the open door through which he could see his wife far down the dark hall, like a framed picture, eating her dinner abstractedly. Go away, he said to the lions. They did not go. He knew the principle of the room exactly. You sent out your thoughts. Whatever thought you thought would appear. Let's have a light in at his lamp, he snapped. The well land remained, the lions remained. Come on, room, I demand Aladdin, he said. Nothing happened. The lions mumbled in their baked pelts. Aladdin! He went back to dinner. The full room's out of order, he said. It won't respond. Or? Or what? Or it can't respond, said Lydia, because the children thought about Africa and lions and killing so many days that the room's in a rut. Could be. Or Peter said it to remain that way. Said it? He may have gotten into the machinery and fixed something. Peter doesn't know about machinery. He's the wise one through ten, that IQ of his, nevertheless. Hello, Mom. Hello, Dad. The Hadleys turned. Wendy and Peter were coming in the front door, cheeks like peppermint candy, eyes like bright blue agate marbles, a smell of ozone on their jumpers from their trip in the helicopter. You're just in time for supper, said both parents. We're full of strawberry ice cream and hot dogs, said the children holding hands, but we'll sit and watch. Yes, come tell us about the nursery, said George Hadley. The brother and sister blinked at him and then at each other. Nursery? 
all about Africa and everything, said their father with false joviality. I don't understand. You know, my mother and I were just traveling through Africa with rod and reel. Tom Swift and his electric lion, said George Hadley. There's no Africa in the nursery, said Peter simply. Oh, come now, Peter, we know better. I don't remember any Africa, said Peter to Wendy. Do you? No. Run, see, and come tell. She obeyed. Wendy, come back here, said George, but she was gone. The house lights followed her like a flock of fireflies. Too late, he realized he had forgotten to lock the nursery door after his last inspection. Wendy will look and come tell us, said Peter. She doesn't have to tell me. I've seen it. I'm sure you're mistaken, Father. I'm not, Peter. Come along now. But Wendy was back. It's not Africa, she said breathlessly. We'll see about this, said George Hadley, and they all walked down the hall together and opened the nursery door. There was a green, lovely forest, a lovely river, a purple mountain, high voices singing, and Rima, lovely and mysterious, looking in the trees with colorful flights of butterflies like animated bouquets. Lingering in her long hair, the African veiled land was gone, the lions were gone. Only Rima was here now, singing a song so beautiful that it brought tears to your eyes. George Hadley looked in at the changed scene. Go to bed, he said to the children. They opened their mouths. You heard me, he said. They went off to the air closet, where a wind sucked them like brown leaves up the flue to their slumber rooms. George Hadley walked through the singing glade and picked up something that lay in the corner near where the lions had been. He walked slowly back to his wife. What is that? she asked. An old wallet of mine, he said. He showed it to her. The smell of hot grass was on it and the smell of a lion. There were drops of saliva on it. It had been chewed and there were blood smears on both sides. He closed the nursery door and locked it tight. In the middle of the night, he was still awake and he knew his wife was awake. Do you think Wendy changed it? She said at last in the dark room. Of course. Made it from a veld into a forest and put Rima there instead of the lions? Yes. Why? I don't know, but it's staying locked until I find out. How did your wallet get there? I don't know anything, he said, except that I'm beginning to be very sorry that we bought the room for the children. Are children are neurotic at all? A room like that? It's supposed to help them work out their neuroses in a healthful way. I'm starting to wonder, he stirred the ceiling. We've given the children everything they ever wanted. Is that a reward? Secrecy disobedience? Who was it said children and carpets that should be stepped on occasionally? We've never lifted a hand. They're insufferable, let's admit it. They come and go when they like. They treat us as if we were offspring. They were spoiled and we're spoiled. They've been acting funny ever since you forbade them to take the rocket to New York a few months ago. They were not old enough to do that alone, I explained. Nevertheless, I've noticed they've been decidedly cool towards us since. I think I'll have Dave McLean come up tomorrow and have a look at Africa. But it's not Africa now. It's Green Mansion's country in Rima. I have a feeling it'll be Africa again before then. A moment later, they heard screams. Two screams. Two people screaming from downstairs. And then a roar of lions. Wendy and Peter... Peter aren't in their rooms, said his wife. 
He lay in his bed with his beating heart. No, he said. They've broken into the nursery. Those screams, they sound familiar. Do they? Yes, awfully. And although their beds tried very hard, the two adults couldn't be rocked to sleep for another hour. A smell of cats was in the night air. Father, said Peter. Yes. Peter looked at his shoes. He never looked at his father anymore, nor at his mother. You aren't going to lock up the nursery for good, are you? That all depends. On what, snapped Peter? On you and your sister. If you interspruce this Africa with a little variety, oh, Sweden perhaps, or Denmark or China. I thought we were free to play as we wished. You are free within reasonable bounds. What's wrong with Africa, father? Oh, so now you admit you've been conjuring up Africa, do you? I wouldn't want the nursery locked up, said Peter coldly, ever. Matter of fact, we're thinking of turning the whole house off for about a month. Live sort of a carefree, once-for-all existence. That sounds dreadful, but after time I don't choose to stay learning the shoe tie would do it, and brush my own teeth, and comb my hair, and give myself a bath. It would be fun for a change, don't you think? No, it would be hard. I didn't like it when you took out the picture painter last month. That's because I wanted you to learn to paint all by yourself, son. I don't want to do anything but look and listen and smell. What is there to do? All right, go play in Africa. Will you shut off the house sometime soon? We're considering it. I don't think you'd better consider it anymore, father. I won't have any threats from my son. Very well. And Peter strolled off to the nursery. Am I on time? said David McLean. Breakfast? asked George Hadley. Thanks, handsome. What's the trouble? David, you're a psychologist. I should hope so. Well then, have a look at our nursery. You saw it a year ago when you dropped by. Did you notice anything peculiar about it then? Can't say I did. The usual violences, a tendency towards side paranoia here or there. Usual in children because they feel persecuted by parents constantly. But oh, really nothing. They walked down the hall. I locked up the nursery, explained the father, and the children broke back into it during the night. I let them stay so they could form some patterns for you to see. There was a terrible screaming from the nursery. There it is, said George Hadley. See what you make of it. They walked in on the children without rapping. The screams had faded. The lions were feeding. Run outside a moment, children, said George Hadley. No, don't chase the mental combination. Leave the walls as they are. Get. With the children gone, the two men stood straying the lions clustered at a distance, eating with great relish whatever it was they had caught. I wish I knew what it was, said George Hadley. Sometimes I can almost see. Do you think if I brought high-powered binoculars here and... David McLean laughed dryly. Hardly. He turned to study all four walls. How long has this been going on? A little over a month. It certainly doesn't feel good. I want facts, not feelings. My dear George, a psychologist never saw a fact in his life. He only hears about feelings, vague things. This doesn't feel good, I tell you. Trust my hunches and my instincts. I have a nose for something bad. This is very bad. My advice to you is to have the whole room torn down and your children brought to me every day during the next year for treatment. Is it that bad? I'm afraid so. One of the original uses of nurseries was that we could study the pattern left on the wall by the child's mind. 
study at our leisure and help the child. In this case, however, the room has become a channel towards destructive thoughts, instead of a release away from them. Didn't you sense this before? I sensed only that you had spoiled your children more than most, and now you're letting them down in some way. What way? I wouldn't let them go to New York. What else? I've taken a few machines from the house and threatened them a month ago with closing up the nursery unless they did their homework. I did close it for a few days to show I meant business. Aha! Does that mean anything? Everything. Way before they had a Santa Claus, now they have a Scrooge. Children prefer Santas. You've left this room in this house. Replace you and your wife and your child's affections. This room is their mother and father, far more important in their lives than their real parents. And now you come along and want to shut it off. No wonder there's hatred here. You can feel it coming out of the sky. Feel that sun, George. You'll have to change your life. Like too many others, you've built it up around creature comforts. While you'd starve tomorrow if something went wrong in your kitchen, you wouldn't know how to tap an egg. Nevertheless, turn everything off. Start new. It'll take time. But we'll make your children out of bad in a year. Wait and see. But wouldn't the shock be too much for the children, shutting up the room abruptly for good? I don't want them going into deeper, any deeper into this, that's all. The lions were finishing with their red fest. The lions were standing on the edge of the clearing, watching the two men. Now I'm feeling persecuted, said McLean. Let's get out of here. I have never cared for these darn rooms. Make me nervous. The lions look real, don't they, said George Hadley. I don't suppose there's any way. What? That they could become real? Not that I know. Some flaw in the machinery or tampering or something? No. They went to the door. I don't imagine the room would like being turned off, said the father. Nothing ever likes to die, even a room. I wonder if it hates me for wanting to switch it off. Paranoia is thick around here today, said Devin McLean. You can follow it like a spore. Hello. He bent and picked up a bloody scarf. This yours? No. George Hadley's face was rigid. It belongs to Lydia. They went to the fuse box together and threw the switch that killed the nursery. The two children were in hysterics. They screamed and pranced and threw things. They yelled and sobbed and swore and jumped at the furniture. You can't do that to the nursery. You can't. No children. The children flung themselves onto a couch, weeping. George, said Lydia Hadley, turn on the nursery. Just for a few moments. You can't be so abrupt. No. You can't be so cruel. Lydia, it's off and it stays off. And the whole house dies as of here and now. The more I see of the mess we put ourselves in, the more it sickens me. We become... Completely dependent on our mechanical, electronic, naval too long. For too long. My goodness, how we need a breath of honest air. And he marched about the house, turning off the voice clocks, the stoves, the heaters, the shoe shiners, the shoe lacers, the body scrubbers and swabbers and massagers, and every other machine he could put his hand to. The house was full of dead machines, it seemed. It felt like a mechanical cemetery. So silent. None of the humming hidden energies of machines waiting to function at the tap of a button. Don't let them do it, wailed Peter at the ceiling, as if he was talking to the house, the nursery. 
Don't let father kill everything. He turned to his father. Oh, I hate you. Insults won't get you anywhere. I wish you were dead. We were for a long while. Now we're going to really start living. Instead of being handled and massaged, we're going to live. Wendy was still crying and Peter joined her again. Just a moment, just one moment. Just another moment in nursery, they wailed. Oh, George, said the wife. It can't hurt. All right, all right, if they'll just shut up. One minute, mind you, and then all forever. Daddy, 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 sang the children, smiling with wet faces. And then we're going on a vacation. David McLean is going to come back in half an hour to help us move out and get to the airport. I'm going to dress. You turn the nursery on for a minute, Lydia. Just a minute, mind you. And the three of them went babbling off while he let himself be vacuumed upstairs through the air flue and set about dressing himself. A minute later, Lydia appeared. I'll be glad when we get away, she sighed. Did you le leave them in the nursery? I wanted to dress too. Oh, that hard Africa, what can they see in it? Well, in five minutes, we'll be on our way to Iowa. Lord, how did we ever get into this house? What prompted us to buy a nightmare? Pride, money, foolishness. I think we better get downstairs before those kids get engrossed with those darn beasts again. Just then they heard the t children calling. Daddy, Mommy, come quick, quick. They went downstairs in the air flue and ran down the hall. The children were nowhere in sight. Wendy, Peter? They ran into the nursery. The Veldland was empty save for the lions waiting, looking at them. Peter? Wendy? The door slammed. Wendy? Peter? George Hadley and his wife whirled and ran back to the door. Open the door, cried George, trying the knob. Why, they've locked it from my outside. Peter? He beat at the door. Open up! He heard Peter's voice outside against the door. Don't let them switch off the nursery in the house, he was saying. Mr. and Mrs. George Hadley beat at the door. Now don't be ridiculous, children. It's time to go. Mr. McLean will be here in a minute, and... And then they heard the sounds. The lions on three sides of them. And the yellow veiled grass, padding through the dry straw, rumbling and roaring in their throats. The lions. Mr. Hadley looked at his wife, and they turned to look back at the beast, edging slightly forward, crouching, tail stiff. Mr. and Mrs. Hadley screamed. And suddenly they realized why those other screams had sounded familiar. Well, here I am, said David McLean in the nursery doorway. Oh, hello. He stared at the two children seated in the center of the open glade, eating a little picnic lunch. Beyond them was the water hole and the yellow drilled land. Above was the hot sun. He began to perspire. Where are your father and mother? The children looked up and smiled. Oh, they'll be here directly. Good, we must get going. At a distance, Mr. McLean saw the lions fighting and clawing, and then quieting down to feed in silence under the shade trees. He squinted at the lions with his hand tipped to his eyes. Now the lions were done feeding. They moved to the water hole to drink. A shadow flickered over, to, flickered over Mr. McLean's hot face. Many shadows flickered. Their vultures were dropping down the blazing sky. A cup of tea? asked Wendy in the silence. And that was The Veld by Ray Bradbury. Originally published as The World the Children Made and The Saturday Evening Post.
I hope you enjoyed my reading of it. Have a great night, everyone. I'm going to leave you with a song by Dead Mouse that was inspired by that story.